Welcome to Talking New Energy, a podcast from Delta EE, the new energy experts. We'll be talking about how the energy transition is developing across Europe, with guests who are working at the leading edge of this transition. Hello, and welcome to the episode. Today, we're looking at where we're at in the energy transition and what next in the next five years for the energy transition. And to unpick these two rather large questions, I'm joined by two of my Delta colleagues, uh, Jennifer Aaron. Hello, Jennifer. Hi, John. And Andy Bradley. Hello, Andy. Hey, John. Um, So these are quite big questions. Where are we at in the energy transition and what next for the energy transition? We're going to pick them off in three chunks and pick up particular examples that we think bring up some of the, the key themes. The first chunk will be what's happened, looking at where we are, particularly in the light of uh, the COVID pandemic. Secondly, we'll be looking at the companies, so uh, the types of companies, who's doing what, where, how, and where the companies are at in the energy transition. And thirdly, looking ahead to the next five years. So without further ado, let's get stuck into these three questions. So first of all, looking back, what's happened in the last year or two? So, Jennifer, you've got some nice uh, nice stats and numbers that paint up a bit of a picture for the customer end of the energy transition. Yeah, as, as luck would have it, um, this is quite a, a hot topic in, in our research services. Um, and the New Energy Business Models research has looked across all of the different areas, products and services in, in new energy and calculated the customer spend um, over 2019, 2020 um, and into the future. Um, and what we found is that 2020 has been a growth year compared to 2019 on customer spend. And there's been a kind of double digit growth, so 50% growth in terms of customer spending on, on new energy technologies. And when, Jennifer, when you talk about customer sp- uh, spend and new technologies, what sort of spend and technologies are you talking about? Yeah, so technology wise, um, really the, the growth has been around kind of three main areas. So um, e-mobility is not surprising, a, a huge part of, of the growth story across Europe and a number of the different markets. Um, new heating is definitely emerging, stronger in some markets than others. Um, and behind the meter generation of storage is really important as well. Okay, so new heating, heat pumps and the like, behind the meter generation of storage, PV and batteries effectively. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. And... Any surprises to you and what's not in there? So connected home, for example, I guess we're seeing growth in smart controls in homes, but the value of each device is relatively low. So when you add it up in money terms, it it, it looks quite small. Yeah, exactly that. So in, in terms of customer spend numbers, it's it's a part of all of the markets that we looked at. We looked across all the kind of major European markets, um, but it has a, a lower impact on that overall value story across the markets. Yeah. Um, and the value story across the, dif- the markets is different depending on where you're looking. Um, in, in Germany, for example, it's very much split between the three main technologies that, that we just talked about. Um, in, in France, there's more of a new heating story emerging there. Um, and in the UK, it's pretty much all about EV at the moment. And e-mobility is really driving those numbers. Okay, so even in three European countries that are relatively similar in some ways... Um, very different patterns in where that investment on the customer side of the meter is going. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, 
Andy, any surprises to you in what we've seen in the last year in those those growth areas or the different patterns? Yeah, so just to pick up on a couple of things that Jennifer said there, particularly around the heat market. Um, anecdotally, I've heard that the market is is really flying in Europe, actually, in, in, in the major European countries. The, the year-on-year growth from 2020 to 2019 is really strong um, from last year, but then into 2021, the growth has continued to accelerate. And I think there are some strong subsidies in place in one or two countries, particularly Germany, for example. But the, the heat market in particular seems to have really taken a, a, a strong recovery from the initial impact of COVID and, and then has really gone from strength to strength in 2021. And that's not only Andy, the old technologies, the, the boilers that have dominated the European market, but that's very much the new technologies, the heat pumps. The, I think the it's a mix. I mean, many. I think there are still a significant number of non-condensing boilers across Europe. Yeah. So I think that a lot of those non-condensing boilers are being swapped out for condensing boilers, which is still, you know, fossil-based. Clearly, there is an efficiency gain, of course, but it's it's condensing boilers swapping out non-condensing. But also, of course, you know, the really um, continuing growth we see in the electrification of heat. Yeah. So when I think of these markets, I often think of inflection points. The the curves are not normally nice, smooth curves that increase year on year at a steady rate. With many of the markets we're looking at, you get these inflection points where you suddenly get this jump in the market. Andy, I'm not sure the inflection point for heat yet, um, but for electric vehicles, arguably we are at that inflection point. Um, Jennifer, in terms of the the EV market, what sort of market shares are we seeing and do you think we will see in the next years as EV markets really take off? Yeah, I mean, the EV story is one that we started talking about with a lot more certainty. So it seems to be a kind of when, not if, that inflection point is going to happen and an agreement that that inflection point will be soon. Um, I mean, from as early as kind of twenty, early 2020s, so 2022, 2023, next year, we're going to see kind of around a 10% share um, of, of annual car registrations being EV, um, according to our forecasts. Um, and then that ramps up really rapidly, actually, towards 2025 and 2026, where you might start to see that crossover inflection point that you're talking about. So more than 50% being electric. Yeah. 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 Um, Andy, we're not going to see that in the heat market quite yet, are we? No, I don't think so. Not, not, not yet. I mean, I think those inflection points come, John, when the proposition for customers is one that customers want. Yeah. You know, there might be a price premium there uh, still. And I think, you know, for some of these solutions, you know, they will always be, you know, perhaps premium solutions. Um, but when customers want them, I think that's when the market pulls demand. Whereas in the early stages, it's the industry supply, if you like, pushing into the market and trying to earn a right to get the customer's attention. So, you know, with EVs, I think, you know, as we know, the price of vehicles is dropping all the time and it you know, might get closer to normal you know, sort of ICE vehicles in the next two, three years or so. And that will help their adoption. Um, but I think as more drivers experience an EV and realize that actually it's just a better car, customers will start to want one and as long as the infrastructure is there and there aren't nightmare stories about recharging etc yeah you know i think the market will still really start to pull the demand so in terms of the the value pools i guess there's huge interface between electric vehicles how they charge and the energy system so there's a huge value pool that was certainly developed there heat is coming but not quite there yet and the other big 
bucket we talked about was PV and storage. Arguably, they're in Germany, growing in a number of other countries. But in parts of Europe where there are poor incentives um, or electricity prices are very low, that market's not there. So those are the three big uh, growth areas we've seen in the last years. And I think we'll, we'll keep seeing those being the major capital spend items for uh, distributed energy. Let's move on now to the second question, um, a bit around who is doing what in the energy transition. Um, and there are different ways we can think about the energy transition, the large utility scale projects, the, the behind the meat of the distributed energy markets. Andy, what, what patterns do you see in terms of what role different companies are playing to date? Yeah, I mean, when you look back probably around a decade, I mean, the Europe, thinking about European, the European space, European utilities, you know, a lot of the European utilities saw huge value destruction in the early part of the last decade and, you know, have had some tough times through that. Mm. Um, but a number of them have very successfully capitalized on the utility scale renewable boom. And, you know, some of the, the valuations of, of some of those companies now have, have increased massively compared to, um, say, 10 years ago. Um, you know, the oil majors, I think, missed that boat completely. Yeah. But more recently, the oil majors have clearly, you know, come to the energy transition party. I could describe it as that. And they're all taking the energy transition very seriously. And the European majors, Total, Shell, BP in particular, have all put money on the table and, you know, have made big announcements about, their future engagement, but they're still, you know, relatively early days yeah. uh, in terms of their engagement. So, you know, I think when you look back sort of where we've got to, utility scale renewables is the, is the big story for, for many of the big utility players and perhaps some of the, the new oil, uh, oil majors that are coming to, to the space. Um, but I think when you look forward, the, the, the landscape is going to be very different because it's much more about distributed energy markets in the future, you know, key aspect of the energy transition is how the national grids, national energy systems are going to be increasingly fragmented. Assets are going to be distributed through the system. Those those behind the meter assets we were talking about earlier, for example. Absolutely. So behind the meter will become really important. It's not going to become all of the system in the future, but it was really an irrelevant part of the system in the past. But in the future, it's going to be a very important part of how the system works. So those distributed energy markets, you know, and understanding those, the technologies required, uh, the propositions required, the business models, I think that's going to be the big playing ground for a lot of the, the players in the space, which is attracting a huge number of startups, technology yeah. companies, software companies, the digital giants, controls companies, you know, the, the car companies, you know, all types of, of OEM really. So, so I see this sort of massive you know convergence of industry verticals actually around the energy transition Um, so can i use your boat analogy so the boat's sailing already for utility scale renewables it's left the harbor it's powering away it's got further in its journey to go there's a lot more build out of utility scale renewables to go but that's on the journey the boat for distributed energy markets is behind the meter markets is leaving the harbor is that the right way to think of it if it left the harbor is it building up speed or is it still in the harbour? Um, I think it's it's still in the harbour, but it's building up speed. Yeah. Is there, is there a rush of players trying to get on? <laughs> there is, you know, because I think it's, you know, you go back five years, John, to, you know, thinking about the work we were doing at Delta E together then. And, 
you know, the, the narratives moved on massively. You know, it's no longer a strategic debate about do we need a transition strategy? You know, that, that ship sailed, to use yeah. an analogy. Um, <laughs> and, and now, you know, it's okay, what do we do? How do we respond? Yeah. You know, how do we how do we protect our legacy business? But how do we create the business for, for the future, the business for the transition? So it's, yeah. it's, those are the questions now that the companies are focus on, focusing on. Yeah, and I see some companies, if I take a company like uh, SSE, one of the big energy companies in Ireland, UK and Ireland, for example, they've made a deliberate decision to exit the residential retail business. Um, but they're very good at utility scale renewables. So they've decided they won't play in one part of the market, but they will play in another. But I don't think I've seen many of those sort of very proactive decisions yet. I think my impression is that most companies are still trying to see if they can play in these distributed energy markets, trying to work out what the right business models are, the right customer groups to focus on, how quickly they can get traction. Yeah, no, I agree it with that. It seems very wide open still. Yeah, it is wide open. I think most companies are trying to keep their options open quite sensibly, I think. You know, there are other examples. E.ON, for example, split itself into two parts. Mm -hmm. um, going back a while, you know, RWE or Energy has, has, has made a move out of the downstream part to a large extent. You know, Orsted perhaps moved first of all, um, yep. you know, around a decade ago. So there are examples of companies who you know, looking at their strategic position, their capabilities, their strengths and weaknesses and positioning themselves in what they think is the right part of the supply chain for their business. Yeah. Um, but I think many companies, you know, are still perhaps trying to work that out, but also because of the nature of the transition where the customer is just going to get more and more important, you know, the value is, is shifting downstream um, towards the customer to become more distributed, more local, more behind the meter, and you know, that fundamentally means that if you give up your customers, are you giving up your future business opportunity? And I think that's the kind of strategic conundrum for, for many of the companies, really. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, the future battleground, I think, for the next five years. And it's uh, it will be fascinating to see whether the likes of Volkswagen with their energy retail or energy service company that set up, Ellie, or tesla who have been you know will they move into the the heating market um will they become an energy retailer um they're they're already doing that in some markets or will it be the incumbent utilities that have got their big customer bases that can exploit them absolutely yeah and um, some of the oil companies have you know a fantastic opportunity because of their brand strength um you know they have some of the the most recognizable brands um globally you know bp and shell um, can they use those brands in a positive way with customers to fundamentally reposition themselves? And that's you know, an opportunity or challenge for them, depending on your, your perspective. Well, my view is that the winners here will be the ones that are truly customer-centric, that really put the customer at the heart of their businesses. And I still think most of the types of companies we talked about still have to learn that. I don't know whether I'm being too cynical or not, but uh, it's really a mindset change that you you hear that mindset when you talk to uh, companies like Procter and Gamble on one of my recent podcasts. Mm. You know, they their R and D team will spend a third of their time in customers' homes, um, and that's just so different from the energy sector at the moment. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, okay, let's move on to the next topic, which is what next, looking forward to the next five years. Um, so I'm going to, as a talking point here, use a poll that we carried out for our research network. Um, we gave them a number of options to choose as to which would be the most important topic. We didn't put uh, e-mobility in there because it was so obvious, as Jennifer, you talked about earlier, where we're you know, they've passed the inflection point there, arguably. But the topics we gave them were flexibility, heat, uh, the rise of DSOs, so distribution system operators or, or distribution network companies, customers and communities, and hydrogen. So a bit of an eclectic mix. They're not all like for like. Um, what we found was that the, well, when we asked them, the top three there were flexibility, heat, and DSOs. So, or distribution system operators. And customers and community weren't far behind. Hydrogen was quite far behind. So, Jennifer and Andy, any sort of surprises there from your side or, or comments on, on that order? Um, I mean, I wasn't surprised to see flexibility up there. Um, it seems to be one of the, almost like the, the key to holding everything together in this new energy future we might have um, at some level, um, you know, how we use flexibility to manage demands on the network is going to be, be absolutely critical. Um, and it cuts across virtually, well, most, if you segment the world by technologies, it cuts across most of the technologies. <laughs> yeah, and, and eventually it will. So, you know, in the near term, you know, electrification of heat, for example, we're still talking about, you know, air-to-air heat pumps, hydraulic heat pumps, electric hot water heaters, you know, there's big replacement markets there. Post-2025, how you then use those loads when those technologies are in homes becomes really important and that's going to require some sort of flexibility to really maximise that and use that. And that's a big kind of, you know, opportunity there. Um, So it will be important, I think, flexibility. Um, So you'd you'd put that at the top as well or towards the top? I think I would because I think it, like you said, it scans across everything and it's the way that everything is going to be linked together and it's the way to get the best value out of all these different parts that we're seeing emerge. So it's almost that linking piece. Okay. Andy, what about you? Um, I mean, the three make sense to me, actually. Um, I mean, heat in particular, I mean, it's it's been the elephant in the room that, that no one's talked about for a decade, really. You know, we know how to decarbonize generation of electricity. We know how to decarbonize transport now, at least yeah. cars, um, you know, heat. Well, we've done, there's been lots of talk, but not much action really outside the new build sector for quite some years. So it's fantastic to see heat coming into focus in terms of policy making and regulators. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I you know, and I, I see that in, in discussions with the companies that I'm dealing with that, that, you know, there's big opportunities and challenges in the heat market. So so I think flexibility and heat make a lot of sense to me. And then DSOs are in, intimately related to both of those. I mean, they were both you know, the, the, an active demand side and much uh, higher rates of, of electricity use or heating or comfort in the home will lead to huge pressures on, on distribution networks. And I think they they become the key enablers, in my view. As you electrify more and more, you need to optimize. You get more challenges, more congestion on the network at lower and lower voltage levels, and the need to optimize and 
glue all of these together. Jennifer, in the same way you talked about fair flexibility, becomes critical. Absolutely, yeah. I, I did the, the the network industry. You know, when you look back over the last decades, probably has been cost driven for the whole time but actually now i think if i was advising a young graduate looking to come into the energy sector i'd advise them to to really look at that part of the energy sector because it's going to be the key part of 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 the energy supply chain in the energy transition and actually this is going to be a fascinating and interesting um part of the industry to be in i think over the next decade so i think those three topics sorry john i think i agree with but there are a couple of other things that uh, that you know, I think I feel quite strongly about, and they're, I suppose, related to those in some way. But but just you know, two things that perhaps surprised we haven't talked about. One is is the kind of as a service concept. You know, mm. you know, e mobility, cars expensive, uh, electric uh, heat pumps. You know, the, the products expensive. You know, there's there's really you know really big commercial challenges for customers to engage with and and take those propositions as a service business model concept can be a way of squaring that circle from a customer perspective so well, that make, it, the, make that, it affordable that's the fourth topic of customers and communities which is in a way it's not an either flex or flexibility or customers and communities but it's an and because as you said unless you package this up in a way that makes it doable for customers mm. and attractive for customers um it's going to be technology push and industry push without any customer pull yep so, um, and the second one, Andy, you said two things you're surprised about. Yeah, and, and the other one was uh, perhaps, you know, there's a lot of, I, I see many, many companies focusing on net zero, you know, our own company, thinking about a net zero strategy. Mm. Um, big questions, how do, how do we achieve that? What actually do we need to do? What investments do we need to make? What do we need to change in our business? What technologies do we need to adopt to achieve, to get ourselves on the pathway to net zero? You know, mainly a sort of a question for commercial industrial companies, but I see that as a really big topic at the moment, actually, mm-hmm. in the market. Um, you know, loads of companies have made really bold statements about that, um, but perhaps many of those companies don't quite know yet how they're going to achieve it. So I think there's, you know, that for me, that's a big flashing red light and an opportunity for many companies, I think. Yeah, so translating a, a bold vision into a roadmap or a plan or a strategy. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, keeping our time, let's bring out now the talking new energy crystal ball. And I'm going to set the dial five years forward. It fits the time frame we've been we've been talking about. And um, the question this week for for all three of us is: What if we look forward to a fantastically successful five years in um, the energy transition? So we're well on the pathway we want to be to to reach our decarbonisation targets. What are the three lessons we'll have taken from COVID or the COVID crisis that would have helped us to reach that point in five years' time? So what can we learn from COVID? What can we embrace? Um, What can we use? What will we have used in 2026? Um, could could I start with that one, George? Yeah, go on, Eddie. I mean, the first one for me is is money. We do have a magic money tree. <laughs> it just seems to me that that you know, if the emergency is big enough and the urgency is strong enough, then actually we can find the resources and the focus to deal with problems. 
and it's really made me think that you know through the pandemic that actually you know there is the capability for us to to move faster and do more and have the resources to do that the three of us think it's urgent enough andy compared to covid do you think um society at large political will governments see it that way yet or do you think there's a bit more to go i think there's still a bit more to go quite clearly um but you know the news over the last weeks the, all the, yeah. the the events and things you know it, it, the pressure is building cop 26 is coming up rapidly you know the yeah. geopolitics of it all is clearly very challenging but um, you know, moving in the right direction. Yeah. So yeah, for me, if we look five years down the track, I really hope that actually, you know, we we've taken the lessons from from the pandemic and the, the way we've met this challenge, and you know, we're willing to re- be really ambitious in the way that we can meet the climate challenge. Jennifer, how about you? What what will we what will we have taken from the COVID crisis that enables us to succeed in twenty twenty six or be on the right track? I mean, over, over the last ten years at Delta, I've always spent a lot of time focusing on on what that means for the customer and the customer um, view on all of this and I think what COVID has told us again is if there's that shared you know urgency we are seeing communities pull together in a more local way Um, you know people cooperating with their neighbours within their communities to make things happen Um, and if you engage people in the right way then there is that community spirit there that perhaps we'd forgotten in countries like the UK that there really was you know the country did pull together um, and achieve you know, a great deal over that time and if we could put that shared effort into into kind of you know decarbonisation for example then that would be incredible I also think there's a lesson there around you know connecting impact so those everyday impacts um, in terms of the overall bigger picture so maybe that's a disconnect at the moment that people yeah. don't see that if I insulate my house I can have a big impact um, so, maybe so people got People got in COVID, if I stay at home, if I do what I'm told, I will be helping the pen to fight the yeah, pandemic. Yeah, it was for helping everybody, wasn't it? It wasn't just yeah. to help yourself, it was to help everybody. Um, whereas, and you people know, don't get that connection with climate change yet, or not to the degree they could. Yeah, we still see that customers are really mainly motivated by you know their own personal circumstances or financial benefits yeah. on the whole. And that's you yeah. know, not surprising, um, but perhaps but there is a tap into that. Can we tap into that wider societal benefit? Yeah, yeah. And EVs is a big opportunity because actually once everyone's got an EV, then you might find that everyone suddenly starts thinking about how they use their energy in a slightly different way. Yeah. Um, so that's a good opportunity to start engaging with customers through that. Yeah. Yeah, critical part. If we can't do that, we probably won't get what we want to get to. The, the third point I'd make is that I think we can learn massively from local supply chains and the way in the COVID pandemic um, there was a benefit to having local supply chains to being more resilient to being maybe slightly less uh, slightly less reliant on global trade flows and on imports from other countries so I think that will help us to to better match local generation with local demand um, and balance the system at a more local level and untap all the local energy resources that are that are there and can be used. Yeah, no, I agree, John. And I think it also supports Jennifer's point about engagement with end users, with customers, you know, having local organisations or having them participate in local community energy or mm. local energy systems is, is a great way of helping them understand the contribution they're making, perhaps, to the, the system decarbonisation. 
Yeah, as, as so often with the energy transition, everything is connected. And I think that's part <laughs> of the challenge, isn't it? But the industry tends to start with the technology rather than the customer. If yeah. we can always just really keep focusing on the customer and work backwards, I think that will be a, a, a fantastic you know, achievement for the industry. And you know, if in five years' time that is business as normal in the way the industry works, that would be fantastic, I think. With the, the wheels oiled, that's not the right word, Andy, but the wheels oiled by the magic money tree. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> um, okay, well, uh, that's been really interesting discussion on where we're at and where we're going. Andy, Jennifer, thanks very much for your time. Uh, listeners, hope that's given you some useful um, ideas, perspectives, things that you can maybe take to your, your own activities, your own work in the energy transition. And look forward to welcoming you back to uh, next week's episode. Thanks and goodbye. If you're as passionate about the energy transition as we are, then please keep in touch. You can follow us and me on Twitter, LinkedIn, or subscribe to the podcasts on your chosen podcast platform. If you like the podcasts and like sharing, then please do rate us. And to listen to archived episodes, to read transcripts, and to see the latest Delta EE insights, then please visit www.delta-ee.com.